Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor clients can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and in this episode, Steve and I speak with Jen Goldman, who is a coach who has helped hundreds of advisors transform into profitable, higher growth business. Now, in the work that she does, Jen focuses on a number of things, strategic planning, recalibrating staff and resources, and creating operational efficiencies. And she brings that very broad range of experience into this conversation. And we tackle a really interesting topic with Jen. It's one that we don't often discuss, which is how to think about offboarding clients intentionally, either because you're working with some of the wrong clients or with too many clients. She walks us through a way to think about when offboarding makes sense, the impact it can have, and what really gets in the way. And once you're over any of those internal hurdles, how to make it happen. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Jen. Jennifer Goldman, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, guys. Glad to be on with you guys. Absolutely. Well, we talk so much that I'm happy to just talk to you officially on the podcast. So I uh, am, am, and well, we both are, uh, have worked with you in different ways or uh, shared ideas with you for so many years. So really excited to have you here today. Um, and there was a, there was a, an area that I wanted to focus on, and it's actually triggered by one of your recent blogs. But before we dive in on some of those specifics, can you just give us an overview of the kind of work that you're doing with advisors right now? Absolutely. So in a nutshell, as much as I can explain this, within a year, um, I work with advisory firms that really are looking to improve and expand their client base and their staff. And the trick is they want to do this while also improving their profitability, their work-life balance, and impossible, in some cases, their valuation. So it's about guiding the firms through a series of what I call prioritized changes. And while I'm guiding them through and the team, I'm also teaching them how to manage change along the way so that when I'm no longer around, they can continue to keep expanding and growing in what I would call a very sane way <laughs> versus <laughs> the insane burnout way. That I, that's gonna, that's the next book. That's yeah, the next book, Insane Growth. Yeah, that, that no way. question. There yeah. you go. So, yeah, so that's basically what well, I did. And, and so um, just to um, focus on that a little bit, Jen, um, are there particular kinds of firms that you do that with? Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if, it's, if, if this is appropriate for everybody or if, if you need to be at a certain level before you're really in a position to do this. Yeah, I found that over the years and working with so many firms that really the firms that are really ready for this um, with healthy pace of change and so forth, they've got to be around 1.5 to 2 million gross revenue. And in terms of the split between reoccurring and non-reoccurring revenue, you got to be over the 50% mark on reoccurring revenue. And that's just because those are the firms that are ready for the kind of work you do. Is that Yeah, they've been through, I would say, absolutely the tough really hard things to do Mm -hmm. on their own, right? They have done that gut check of, yes, I do want to grow, maybe not in a crazy way, Mm -hmm. but I want that healthy pace of growth. They're open to change because they've been through a series already. And quite frankly, they have the team. So they may not have all the right people in the right seats, you know, the whole seats in the bus, but they definitely have team members 
that can be included in this because you cannot do this alone. Right. I, I mean, that's the truth of it. You And I always say to firms, even at this size, if you want to do this alone, that's, that is fine with less staff. Maybe they're too lean, but that's just going to take you longer mm-hmm. and your energy and your focus wears down. And so it's really, you know, again, about just having some good team members and at a half, you know, one and a half to two, they've got enough people on their right. team. And, and the other thing too is I'm not, I do work with investment centric firms that want to become more planning centric. Mm-hmm. But if a firm is truly uh, product-driven or investment only and doesn't want to have that kind of in-depth relationship with clients, then I'm also, you know, I won't work with them because, yeah, it's tailored for more of that deep relationship, that long engagement, maybe even multi-generational. Okay. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. and now the concept that we're talking about today, which is off-boarding clients, which is an interesting twist on what we often talk about, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. (laughs) onboarding clients, um, is I think a concept that relates even more broadly to to many advisors, even some smaller advisors, I imagine, than those that you've just talked about. And uh, it came up because you wrote a blog on this. We'll make sure we include a link to that in the show notes. And uh, and you talked about this uh, potential need to offboard clients. You talked about the impact of continuing to work with clients who may not be a fit. And you suggested that offboarding some clients wasn't just about profitability and productivity, but it could really have a positive impact on client experience. So I wanted to dig on on that, but maybe you could even just start by when we talk about offboarding clients, what exactly do you mean? So I mean, giving them away. Um, Whether it could be to the retail branch of the custodian you work with, whether it could be to uh, the credit union down the street or a local bank that does pure basic investment management, if it's even investments, Um, whether it's uh, these more, I would say, tech-savvy, low-cost offerings like Facet or Betterment, or there's just, there's many out there. I don't want to exclude anybody, but I'm not going to list them all. Um, But it it does mean that they're no longer on your books. You're no longer servicing them. They are not part of your client base anymore. So intentionally going through a process of culling, presumably based on a more clearly defined strategy, right? On who's who you want to work because often you would hear uh, advisors in the past talk about, you know, the bottom 20%. It's probably not that simple, is it? No, it's not. I mean, listen, I was an advisor and in the quote old days, <laughs> name myself, when. you know, we went way back when, <laughs> when there was no computer, actually was computers, but you know, way back when you had like the ABCD book, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is as you evolved as a business and as an advisor, you started to say those D's are not somebody I would take on today, but I did then. That's what I needed to do. We mm-hmm. all, we, we get that. And there's the family and friends effect, right? Like yeah, I want to help every Tom, Dick and Harry. I, I came from that. I understand it, but at some point you evolve and yes, you have to start taking the lower level tier and, and it may be revenue based. It may be profitability based. It may be that they're not a match for what services you want to offer anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and Jen, let me, let me ask you about this. I, you know, the answer to this for a lot of advisors is 
um, well, I'll just bring on a, a junior advisor, mm-hmm. which is a terrible term, and have them, you know, be sort of the small account specialist, which, which is a terrible term. Um, <laughs> but um, what, why? Tell us, tell, tell us about, you know, um, why offboarding clients um, is, is is different or better than yeah. bringing on somebody to just handle the the people who don't necessarily fit your target. Yeah. There's so many reasons. So let me try to be succinct about it. First of all, in this day and age, I would, it would be very hard to find an associate advisor that wanted to do a volume business in a way that had no relationship with the client. Because honestly, with most of these clients, they're not paying the fee they need to be paying because they don't value what you're offering. So one is that poor staff person that, that you bring on that wants to have a career path doesn't learn. They're not learning because they're not working with a client in a way to learn. Um, So that's not good. Number two, we all know managing staff is not easy. And I think for most advisors become owners, that's one of the areas they need to improve upon. Adding more people to manage on top of trying to improve the business and themselves, it's too much. It's overload on on management time. Um, We could go into profitability. I think it also dilutes your brand. You know, we forget in the industry, it's very hard for the consumer to understand what we actually do as planners and advisors. So then you start doing so many different things for so many different segments of clients in a community, let's say in a tight region, nobody really understands what you do anymore. It's too diluted, right? You're offering almost like too many different services to too many different clients. So that really hurts on your marketing, on your networking, on the referrals that you might get. You're getting, you know, you wonder why you're getting odd referrals that don't match what you want. Well, you've diluted it by having this segment of clients that doesn't experience what you want to offer. Yeah. And, you know, I, the, um, I, I want to build on that because that goes straight to referability that, that you know, when, when I talk with advisors about branding, you know, one of the things I try to emphasize is um, it's so critical that everybody out in the public who says anything about you should be saying the same thing about you. If you have everybody in the community saying something different, then, yeah. then there is no brand. It's just totally dilute. But maybe you could also comment on some of the effects of, you know, on processes and personnel when you've got this, you know, uh, you know, unfocused, you know, totally diverse kind of client mix. Yeah. Thank you for that. I find many firms, what they have struggled with and continue to is that each segment of your clients, and by segment, I mean the type of services you're providing them and the kind of the persona of them, that is a different servicing process. So if you keep all these different segments on, you have to have different processes for each of how you market to them, onboard them, and service them, okay? Your staff have to be trained on every or many different processes. So now they have to understand how to do different things for different people. I mean, that is really hard to manage and to have quality control. You know, and again, I I use that term because I started in the business of financial services and quality control, but that is what it is. And the minute you fall off of these different processes that you're trying to manage and continually improve and be good is the minute that your reputation in the community does start to sour. Not in a negative way of something on your ADV, but just in a way like you said, people can't talk about you anymore at the cocktail party because they don't know what to say. And Um, and we're going to, we're going to look at the the offboarding, but you talked about, 
associates not being the answer in many cases, but I also assume at the risk of digressing, there are times when an associate is exactly the right answer. Like, yes. how, how does an advisor know when they're making the decision for the right reasons versus the wrong? Well, my way of helping them know is to take a look at each segment, understand what they're going to offer, what are the deliverables, the servicing, the team, and the revenue Mm -hmm. and the profitability, and say, this is a segment that is, we have staying power. Like I work with a firm right now that we don't call it externally a robotized offering, but internally it's as close as it can be. It's very little proactivity. It is investment management with all DIY planning. You have a question about college funding? Here's an email with some answers. Not a, but a canned email, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> right? And so, and they said, listen, we want this because we're going to build a volume business there as a feeder for these clients to then grow up or graduate to our higher level offering. In that case, it absolutely made sense to hire an associate mm-hmm. advisor. And it's part of a business plan though, right? Right, right. So if if you are involved with a firm and you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the segment and you're it's probably pretty clear to you, are there signs within a firm when they don't have Jen sitting there pointing out what is probably obvious at that point that, that it might be time to to think about offboarding? Um, we could use the word burnout. Mm-hmm. It's when the advisor slash executive, maybe owner, not owner, feels that they cannot manage any more processes, any more staff. Mm -hmm. That's a very big sign right there. I mean, um, what's another sign? Another sign is... I don't know. That's the biggest one I see. So it's it's, it's like you get a, a feeling before and then you yes. realize that feeling is tied to some very real issues. I, I, I remember talking to to advisors years ago and they'd say, um, we just can't we can't function anymore. We just don't hmm. know um, how to manage all of this. And you did the math and you realized, well that's because you're trying to do something that's almost physically impossible. That's right? right. And yeah, everybody dreams of this automation mm-hmm. and there's a point when it just does not pay and it's not a feeder. You're, you know, <laughs> the idea of the feeder is a great idea if you're giving them a taste in training the mindset of the consumer to want more, to save more, to do more, right? But if you're giving them a totally different service, yeah, your gut is telling you and it's churning. And I, I'm sorry, I can't be more metrics wise, but listen, when your gut is saying that, then do the math, right. like you just said, right? And right there, then then have, you know, do the gut check for the next year, because that's what most firms do is they struggle with it. They feel more ethically bad about this. Mm-hmm. They feel they're being terrible to the community. And that's why I say you build an offboarding plan that is so absolutely wonderful and pleasant that the firms that do it this way, they get referrals from those clients that are leaving mm-hmm. them. It, it's phenomenal. But again, you have to plan. It's, it's the human nature really kicks in here, doesn't it? Because we we assume, I think, for a long time, it's our fault. We're just not working hard enough. We're just not doing the right things. We're just not whatever, 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 when in fact, maybe there's no way to make it work. But I guess sometimes it takes us a while to get our heads around that, um, that yeah. fact. And maybe well, you're doing a disservice yeah, to them. That's it. Right? Yeah. Like, I hate to say yeah. this, but those clients yeah. are not getting anything, yeah. really. And 
well, what good is that? Get, let them go somewhere else. And if you do it right, best, guess what? We all know this because we're in a different business, but the same of having relationships. Mm-hmm. They come back and they have such high respect for you. So, yeah. so I, this, it, it recalls, um, I'm, I'm reminded of a situation at a firm where I used to work where we had this one, in this case, you're, this is not what you're talking about, but in this case, it, it was a fairly large client, but, but he needed something that was just totally different from what we did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the founder brought him on because he was a big client, but he didn't he didn't want what we did. And, um, so, to, you know, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever uncover some of these opportunities with advisors by, you know, you're an expert at, at processes and technologies and those things. And so as, as you refine a process, as you, um, you know, as you help advisors standardize things and get into that, do, do, you, do you ever find opportunities for offboarding by people who just, you know, once you get the process down, just plain old don't fit into that? You know what the great thing is? They find it. Ah, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm opening their eyes. I'm giving them the confidence. I'm giving them the clarity, right? But it's the it's the advisors that come back and say, you know, that that big elephant client, it is a culture killer. It's not a match. It doesn't work with what we're trying to do here. And they become more comfortable with, I'm going to say this, let me try to say this probably, with not bending over backwards for them, not over-servicing them to try to keep them happy when it's just never going to work out. It's like dating. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's not going to work out. <laughs> Let's call it a date, but they feel like they're married to them, right? And they start to see, by going through this, they start to bring on more ideal clients that make them feel good and that are good for the business, which what does that do? That changes the revenue dependency on that big client that isn't a fit. So, so, so the way you're talking, yeah. Them. So the way you're talking about this is is that offboarding is not just you know a, a way to 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 get get rid of too many clients or, or too small clients, mm-hmm. but it but it's maybe of of finding a new solution for the wrong clients. Absolutely, it's it's all segments, and yeah, you're right. Everybody thinks about the D's. That's where we start because this is a mindset change for a firm. So you got to start with something that hurts the least and is the easiest thing to do. But what really happens is it trickles through all the segments of clients. And then they start to really look at it. So we start with Ds. We work to Cs. Again, I don't like these terms, but everybody understands what I'm saying. Um, And naturally, they jump right to the A pluses and start to realize as they're on the phone with them and going through this kind of mindset change, this person's not right anymore with my firm. So it trickles across the board to all levels. Yeah. So you mentioned when they do it right and the experience. Can you talk us through what uh, a really great offboarding experience would look like? Yes. So really great. First of all, you have to be patient with yourself. This probably takes three to six months. I'd love to do it quicker, (laughs) but you got to give time for the brain and the gut. Um, It's writing out what communic- what you would communicate to them. Like you have to physically write this down in an, as if you were going to send them an email of here's why we've taken a look at our business and this is why we are going to introduce you to other parties that we think are a better fit. Okay, so you start working on the wording there. Mm-hmm. Start thinking about where you're going to connect them with and how you're going to connect them. And again, you write this in. Like, am I going to email the other party and the client together? Or is this a negative consent letter? Here's a list. Go out and find them. Um, we're going to, in essence, delink, right? In two months from now, um, you write that out. 
So you think about the email. That converts into a letter. While you're doing this, what starts to happen is you think about the wording on your website. Like if you're talking about your services, you realize even more strongly what you want to be known for and you refine some of the services on your website. So if that person went back and said, I thought you offered this, and they go to the website and realize that no, they only offer, you know, these other set of services and I'm not interested. So that happens. Um, and the third piece is, is actually when you do this properly, it turns into an infographic, like a one pager that you literally could almost put in front of the client you're trying to exit off board, as well as a potential client that's trying to come to you and say, this is our service offering. If it doesn't seem to match what you'd like, I'm glad to connect you with these outside parties. Yeah, right. I can see. And and one of the, I, th I think this is what you're saying, but I just want to highlight this yeah. point of when you, when you start to think of this from the client's perspective, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, I don't know what kind of words you use, but I've, I've often recommended words along the lines of, you know, when we started working together, I made a promise to you. And, and really this, this whole process is fulfilling that process, that promise, because, yeah. you know, if the business has evolved or things have changed, you want to find them the best possible solution. But putting that client at the center of this makes it so much easier. It's the right thing to do, right? It does. It feels right. Yeah. And the beauty, and you know this, when you write, it becomes your verbal script. Mm -hmm. And so it is about writing it and word crafting it. I will say some of my firms have actually been excellent at coming up, you know, like I give them some sample wording, just like you, you know, any of us yeah, would, yeah. but then they revise it. Some have, have a coach that is good with wording <laughs> or the psychology of it, right? Yeah. I have one firm, I brought in a business psychologist to work on this. Okay. I mean, but here's the thing. It's whatever it takes. If you do this well and right, you actually feel better. Your culture and your team feels better. And even the offboarding clients feel better. Right. And yeah. And so from a process point of view, uh, and maybe this is different in every single scenario. So we could pick mm -hmm. one. I mean, they've, they, they sit down, they think about the wording and then that becomes a letter that then gets set at, sent out. Is there, is there anything beyond that in terms of the, the follow-up process that's a, a best practice here? Yeah. So I usually have it in a, it's done in tranches. So the first thing that's done is scheduling a call. And of course, I hope all my firms have a call scheduling system. So it's just, could you please book a call? I'd like to talk to you, right? You talk about this on the call. You follow up the call with the, the canned email mm -hmm. that also lists what you said, but the options, okay. the messaging. And then behind that, you have the process of legally offboarding them. So delinking or whatever the case may be, maybe sending an email between them and the, you know, the external party, if you want to make a warm introduction. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's all baked, you know me, I'm big into this. It's baked into your CRM. It's an email template in your CRM. And it's an actual physical process that you trigger to make sure you're following along the process. And quite frankly, you want to do this for compliance. If anybody ever came back and wasn't happy, you could say, these are all the communications I did. It's all here and documented. I did the best that I possibly could. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in your blog, you talked about a particular example with FACET. Um, can you give us a little yeah. bit of information? It, it may be an option that uh, some advisors are not as deeply familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I did the the post about FACET is because they are planning centric. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing 
I'm an I'm an ex planner. I've been craving that. It's in my blood. Exactly. Thank you. And um, from actually my teenage years. But anyway, and so Facet, you know, this has this option of planning centricity, certainly with investment management that is basically robotized, but they have, you know, some tools and tech that is very uh, planning centric, right? So with that firm, that was a huge metamorphosis in that they were, had the less reoccurring revenue. They absolutely had D and D minus type of level clients. They were suffering from lack of profitability. They weren't able to attract really rock star staff because, you know, people would come and interview and realize that the way clients were being dealt with, it was like too many clients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with them, yeah, the, this whole process, they shedded the D minuses, the Ds, the Cs. The, so they shed about one third of their client base, made warm introductions of over, I think at this point it's over 200 or some to facet wealth. Uh, and in return, were able to re-solidify themselves in the community as more comprehensive service and a recurring revenue type of engagement. So they actually got referrals from it while they were offboarding the clients. Wow. And I think it is absolutely, among other things, has changed their culture. It's changed their marketing. Their marketing budget dropped. It was over 200000 It's now almost less than 100000 because um, they had to market constantly and they don't need to do that. Um, they didn't, weren't getting referrals from clients. Now they are and they're good referrals. I mean, it's just, and they attracted two associate advisors that I think are just going to I think they're going to be amazing. And so, but, so um, that's a that's a great story about about a success. As as you come across firms that need this kind of thing, you know what, you know it's probably easier to say than than to do in a lot of cases. What 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 do you see some of the obstacles being for advisors to this? I I, I th- one is they don't know their numbers, and I know that sounds surprising, but cobbler shoe applies, right? <laughs> um, Two, this is emotional. And I I can't say this enough. There's nothing wrong with having a business psychologist, a coach that has psychology background or not, or can handle that. You need somebody by your side to tell you you're doing the right thing for the client until you see it. And so if anything, I, I would never say me. It You need somebody who psychologically can help you through this and... That's the takeaway. Don't try to do it alone. Because in the end, when you do it alone, I, I just think it takes so long. You're waffling all the time in front of your team, your staff, your current clients, your prospective clients. That waffling, I don't care what anybody says, people pick up on nonverbal language. Right. And it hurts the business. And you don't realize that, but it shows through everything that you do. And it's, uh, yeah. you know, you, you talked about the math earlier. I've, I've seen some <clears throat> pretty poor math applied <laughs> these situations (laughs) where, I mean, and it's true, it's just not going deep enough, but the number of times, um, you know, you, you might tell yourself or, or we may have heard that any client is contributing to, you know, the fixed costs of the business or so, you know, it's, it just doesn't work. I mean, we all know it does not work that way. Um, you don't need too deep an accounting background to figure that out, but it, it becomes, I wonder if if when when we say those things, we're actually masking what you're talking, which could be that feeling that you're failing a client or, you know, I brought him yeah. to the party, I'm taking him home kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. view here, <laughs> which mm-hmm. runs deep. I mean, people get into this business to help, right? And 
Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. That's we we can't forget that that they get into help, which is, but unfortunately, what they have to remember is by not addressing this, they are actually helping less people. You know, there's only so much you can take on. There's only so many people you can have on your team when you are in the red and you are out of business over a short period. And and they just avoid that. And I just say, you know what, just grab it by the horns, you know, and look at it and look at the numbers and look at the staff costs and all that and just come to terms with it. And again, use somebody else, lean on them. And, and I, I, I can see how that would be a problem, uh, how that could be a problem. I, I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of advisors and, and what kind of comes out at some point or another in the conversation is, you know, I made this person a promise. Yep. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they feel like they're the only person who can deliver on that promise. And it really gets in the way of, of this kind of thing. But, 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 you know, who, who, um, who you want to focus on and who you should keep and who you should off board, um, you know, I think ends up being a a big strategic question. You you were talking, you were talking before about, you know, well, you you have your A's and, and maybe some of the people you consider to be an A or some of the people that you may need to offboard because, you know, it it can't just be about revenue. I mean, it strikes me that, that what you were saying really is what's an A actually. Um, And so how do you, how do you help or how do you suggest advisors think about those kinds of questions? Well, I think a lot of advisors have wonderful Excel grids, <laughs> you know, where they have like this, this scoring system. <clears throat> and uh, one thing I just don't see, and unfortunately in those scorings, is I, I don't see minimum revenue. I don't see acknowledgement of how many staff people it takes to service that segment of clients. Um, I don't see an acknowledgement of what level of expertise you have to have on the team to service those clients, not services you provide, but just expertise, right? Do you need to know tax? Do you need to know estate? Do you, you know what I mean? Like how deep do you need to know? Um, so I, I don't want to propose to say that firms don't have a scoring system because most firms I see have something. It's just that they have to put a little bit more detail in there they, and they got to be honest. And yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you, know you make you make a really good point about about that, and and you know, I, I think about, you know, if if you're seeing all different kinds of clients all the time, and you know, doing a financial plan requires ten hours of research because it's a topic you don't see very often. I mean, that mm-hmm. that directly goes to the bottom line, and, 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 and differentiated from every client who comes in the door who says, "I've got this problem," and and the advisor being able to respond with, "I've, I've seen this a hundred times. Yeah. I know exactly what yeah. to do." Right. And if you've seen it a hundred times and you know what you do, your associate advisor probably knows how to draft it and get it to 80% there or 90% there. And let's be honest, they're less expensive than the lead advisor. And so again, I don't want to be all money hungry about it. I want to be, I want to build legacy businesses that can help more consumers over time and frankly, build the business for the next generation to help consumers. So this isn't about greed. This is just about getting the message out, being very clear about what you do and don't do, and making sure what you offer to do, you can stay alive doing for a long time. Well, in, in, in addition to profitability and longevity, you know, it's if, if most of the people who come through the door need a, need a resolution to this or need this particular issue dealt with, and you've seen it a hundred times, you provide better yeah. advice. Yeah. Exactly. And you're right. I mean, this so, whole idea of the better experience and, um, 
you know, sometimes refer to it as diffusion of effort, right? When you're trying, like Jen, when you said you're trying to do this for this person, this for the other person. And, you know, imagine if you walked into the office and all of your thinking and effort was about how to make an experience better for a really defined group of people. I mean, that's energizing. Like you said, it's, it's, it's about the client, but personally energizing. I imagine, do you see that with the clients that go through this? I, yes, the energy level is phenomenal. And you know what it is about the energy level when they are receiving mm-hmm. energy, right? They're not getting dragged down. Obviously, you avoid the burnout now. That's a way. But they start patting themselves on the back, not in an egotistical way, in a, I'm proud that I was able to do something. Like they're actually mm-hmm. breathing again. And I know this sounds so odd, but as business owners, we all feel this sometimes where we feel like we're trying to swim to the top and get a breath, right? You can see it. And what I love to see even more is not only are they breathing and acknowledging the smaller wins, which we must do in life, but they're doing it with their staff. And that's when you just, it catapults. And then they go, and I ask them, well, well, how's it been going last month? They're like, wow, we just brought in these couple great clients. And I don't know how that happened. And I'm thinking, oh my God, look at yourself in the mirror. Your, your body is smiling. Like it's the old, and again, I don't want to give too much credit to the wirehouses, but if you are smiling inside and out in that mirror, when you're on the phone, the other party can feel it. The staff feels it. And guess what? That goes out into the community and yeah. it brings back tenfold. So this is yeah, well, this awesome. is this is a great conversation. Now I mentioned we'll put a link to that blog post in the show notes. But how can advisors find mm-hmm. you and learn more about what the work that you do? Uh, well, they can look up my name. <laughs> I'm searchable. Yeah, so they, and they can certainly book a call um, on my website and certainly read a lot. Um, I would ask a favor of you. So thanks for asking me on that. Um, I would love it if somehow you can incorporate because I didn't mention it. Um, both of your offerings because one part of my engagement is about serving clients to get some more feedback. I think advisors and the team need to be told that they're valuable. I'm just seeing that too often not happen. Um, And then the other part is, and this is me being selfish and talking about my engagement, um, you know, Steve, what you do with the client advisory board, that has been wonderful too. Um, Again, it's clients your ideal clients giving you feedback. And when firms are going through this emotional mindset change and doing this offboarding exercise, um, they need to hear that. They need to hear the good. Uh, so anyway, if you can yeah. weave that in somehow, because we didn't get to talk about it. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk to yeah. you today. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Love talking to you guys, as always. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.